Avengers Age of Ultron is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> Welcome to Marvel Standom, where we like to dig into the world of Marvel Comics, the MCU, and sometimes even weird Marvel stuff from the past. I'm your host, Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, and joining me live this week are Den of Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalad, Pop Culture Writer and Den of Geek Contributor Joe George, and we're also blessed to have none other than Den of Geek Contributor and Pop Culture Writer Tom Chapman in the house. Thank you, Tom, for joining us to talk about the third episode of Secret Invasion, which had a few twists and turns. We'll have a chat about it in a moment. Uh, before that, Tom, can you tell us a bit about your background? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a huge Marvel fan, sort of remember growing up on a diet of sort of Jurassic Park, things like that. Me and my dad all didn't see the Bond movies at the cinema. And then as soon as the MCU came out, watched them all the way through every show, every everything, which is a lot to keep up on. But yeah, I've been writing now about it probably for about six years. Lived in Berlin, wrote about it there. And now it's kind of my bread and butter freelancing about on the side. What have been your favourite MCU things so we can get a grip with your vibe and what you prefer and, and perhaps don't like as much? I love, love, love... Um, Thor Ragnarok, I think for me, that is top tier. Kate Blanchett in that, one of the best Marvel villains. But then I guess on the flip side of that, you look at something like Love and Thunder, which I'm definitely not a fan of. Um, Loki, loved Loki and WandaVision. Yeah, I kind of like the sort of the mythological, more sort of out there ones than the grounded ones. Was not a fan of um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think that's fair enough. Um, I'm just going to do a little recap of Secret Invasion episode three, just to jog anyone's memories who is listening to this on our podcast. Um, in the third episode of Marvel's Secret Invasion, Gravik sets up Gaia to out her as a mole and then seemingly kills her. Uh, while Nick and Talos play right into his trap by trying to thwart a scroll attack on a UN plane, blowing Gaia's cover in the process. And Rhodey is a scroll, I guess, which I think everyone saw coming, but perhaps not. Um, Tom, I'm going to start with you. How have you found the series so far? Also, what did you think of this episode particularly? Yeah, I think in terms of how Marvel series go, it's definitely a slow burner. I think what you need to remember as well is we're like, we're three episodes in now and I feel that at a halfway point is maybe not quite had that massive moment, which sounds ridiculous because every episode's ended on a huge cliffhanger, a big reveal, basically. I like the groundedness of it. I like the sort of the homey earth adventure, get to see more of Nick Fury, because obviously we've known him since the first Iron Man. And yet, I think I wrote about it last week, we know nothing about him other than how he likes his toast. And then even that doesn't add up. I think in terms of big reveals and stuff, yeah, it's that it's that thing where they sort of, they have you coming back every week. But I think sometimes maybe you kind of want to fast forward to the end and be like, right, 
who's a score this week? Who's going to get shot? Who are we not seeing again? And then all the theories that come with it. And I think sometimes some of the middle bits get a bit slow. Okay, so how did you find this particular episode? Has this been your favourite one of them so far? Or would you say they've signed, kind of maintained uh, equilibrium? For me, I think episode two, I, just for the Sonia Falsworth scene alone, for me is the one that clinches it. I could watch a whole spin-off with just Olivia Coleman and just running this sort of um, branch of British superheroes. Um, episode two was a solid one. This one was good. It's good to find more about his wife. I think she'll become a much more interesting character. And as for the whole Amelia Clark thing, I think that they've done an okay job with her so far as uh, Gaia. But I think personally, obviously, without, I imagine we're going to get onto it in a minute. I oh, think yeah. they could do a lot more with her moving forward. And I think her character could become more exciting. And what do you mean, Tom? She's dead. <laughs> No, we'll um, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. Alex, what do you think of episode three? Because you've not been enamoured with the show so far, but you did prefer the second episode to the first one. Uh, yeah, and I look, I remain not enamoured with it, uh, but I do think it's getting a little better week by week, and it's getting a little better at bringing some interesting novel things to the table. Like this week, the talos and fury relationship gets better and funnier and just kind of more interesting my favorite thing on this show is every single character that speaks in a british accent for some reason like i'm not that fascinated with fury i'm not that fascinated with any of the the rank and file scrolls but like olivia coleman still rules talos is getting better and better and then our friend kingsley benedict adair is like weirdly excellent in a not that great show i still think like nothing really like truly impresses me or like blows me away about it and i think that they could be doing a lot of things better uh and i might be biased because hearing anybody compare this before it came out to marvel's andor really got my ire up (laughs) and it's hard for me to move past that anytime they do something really conventionally marvel on screen like oh marvel's andor at it again Um, (laughs) so (laughs) that's made it challenging for me i think it's a perfectly fine marvel show i'm not cranky about anybody enjoying it now let me put it that way if you're vibing with it i'll allow it Alec, I've got to break it to you, and you might want to brace yourself, but uh, Ben Mendelsohn is Australian. Yeah, but isn't he doing a British accent? Like, it's like a weird little chimney. (laughs) 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 They just let him walk around doing an Australian accent? Yes. (laughs) That's unacceptable. Joe, what did you think of this episode? And how how have you been finding the series so far? I feel like you've been on one of these episodes already, and... I, w- I was on one. I did not yeah, have yeah. anything <laughs> memorable to say. Um, I'm enjoying the show. I really am. But I don't know what this show kind of is. Like, it's, it's, I, I think Alex, right. I mean, he's completely right that it's, it's not andor at all because it gestures at, real world complex ideas. This is never going to get to uh, a conversation about resisting totalitarianism and fascism, you know, in, in space that relates to what we are going through now. The show has doesn't have the depth. It doesn't have the uh, adroitness to do that. It occasionally gestures at real world issues, but I'm sure you guys touched 
touched on the conversation between Rhodey and, and Fury in the last episode where it's bringing in heavy stuff about racism in the States, but then it kind of doesn't really do anything with them, which is fine because it's, it's a show about super spies fighting space aliens. And so I don't need it to be about anything else, but then the stuff that's about super spies versus space aliens isn't that exciting either because they're just walking around like people most of the time. And then it's not like there's no real tension to it. I don't know that the show knows what it is. I'm enjoying it because I love to watch Olivia Coleman. And in this episode, I love to watch Ben Mendelsohn and Nick Fury. I mean, and Nick Fury and Samuel Jackson share scenes together. I mean, those guys are all a lot of fun to watch. I think it's a really good looking show. Uh, I, I think this is the strongest cinematography of any of the, the Marvel shows so far, like the bit where um, Fury's wife goes into the uh, the deposit boxes, you know, that gold sheen that's behind them. That was really sharp. Yeah, that, the one that's on the screen right now. That's really good looking. Um, there's a lot of interesting use of lighting here that I think is great. But I feel like really the show wants to be sort of a conspiracy thriller and sort of a political commentary. And it totally fails on both of those levels. Well, tell us how you really feel, Jared. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's all I got to say now. So I'm, I'm going to take the rest of the app off. <laughs> I just want to tag up and say real quick, like the whole Marvel's yeah. and thing, I think is something that was probably unfairly thrust upon the show. But like you said, Joe, what it you have to judge it on what it's going for and what it seems to be going for is something in that conspiracy realm, some kind of spy thriller. And thinking about it on those merits, I'm just, I'm hard pressed to think of anything new that it has brought to the spy genre or anything old from the spy genre that it's executed at a particularly high level. This is a show that has beings in it that could change their appearance seemingly at will. And I just don't think they've really done anything with that. And I don't think they've done anything with any like interesting spy tactics or what have you. So trying to meet the show at its level and what it's going for, I think it still falls a little short. Even if some of the character stuff is getting more interesting, and even if some of the uh, the cinematography is getting more interesting, I, I do love the scene that was that played heavily in the trailer of Talos lunging for Gravik and everybody immediately becoming their scroll. That was cool. What I liked about that scene, it only showed us, you know, Gravik sort of multiplying and um, Talos's reaction to it. Whereas in the episode, you get to see what happens next. You know, he. He has Gravik by the balls, basically. He's got him in a chokehold. He stabs him through the hand. Like, so he's not as intimidated as you would think. I will agree that this episode definitely has some of the best, if not the best lighting and composition that I've seen in any of these shows and most of the movies, honestly. So whoever's behind the scenes here um, needs a raise and another job very quickly. Let's put them on a really good show, please, or a very good movie. Uh, But I, I thought this episode was a bit of a step up um, no, it's still not a great show for me, but I did love the scenes where people were just kind of sitting around talking. That's when the show's been at its best, really, so far. And there was a lot of that in episode three. Um, Nick and Talos in the car uh, talking was just one of the best sort of, you know, dialogue that we've seen in a while from the MCU, where they're talking about. Uh, you know, Talos is saying, you know, everything that you've achieved in your life, 
is thanks to me. And, you know, you, you're not grateful enough and you haven't done enough. And Nick's sort of knows he's in the wrong and knows that Talos is right and that he owes him his life and probably his career, but is acting kind of like a kind of like a petulant child. I love their relationship and they're even more of an old married couple than Nick and his actual wife. Um, and I, I really like to see it on screen. There's something quite romantic between them in a way that I'm enjoying. Um, so I, I'd like to see more of that going forward. Um, do we feel, do we buy into Nick and his wife and their history? Or do you feel like they fleshed that out enough in this episode? No. Yeah, I would <laughs> say no. I would also agree, Chris, I, like, absolutely nick and talos have more romantic chemistry than any oh, other yeah. characters on screen like way back in episode one before i don't know if this was established in captain marvel or not but i didn't realize that the scroll handshake is like tenderly touching foreheads so when they when fury came back to earth and did that for like a fleeting moment i let myself believe that disney was absolutely letting nick fury and uh, Talos have a romantic relationship. And I was so thrilled for like the three seconds before I came crashing back down to earth and realized that they're just bros who touch foreheads sometimes. <laughs> they snipe at each other, but then they're so tender with each other. And it, I'm struggling to think of another relationship, you know, in, in the MCU that is that intimate in a way. Um, I said there was quite a lot of chemistry between Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans in The Winter Soldier. And I think probably that's the closest we've got. There was a little bit of uh, She-Hulk and Daredevil maybe, but that's more of a sexual thing. Um, but these these two is just like, it's the most believably in love I've seen some MCU characters be. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see Nick Fury's wife, like you say, the whole dynamic of like, have they fleshed out enough? And you think we've got that flashback scene to 1998. So you've got decades and decades where you assume that they've been married, maybe not happily, but in some form. And yeah, there's a chance to flesh it out with more flashbacks. But if we've only got three episodes left, I question how much time are they going to donate to that? And I also think it's the strange dynamic. Like you don't really understand why he just sort of left her. I guess that's like a big plot point. And with the Marvels now probably looking like it's going to be a prequel to this, it'll probably be explained in that. But yeah, it's kind of just like she she plays second fiddle to him, no matter what. Like she is the wife of Nick Fury, and yet no one knew about her. So, but that's also a dynamic you can explore. She's sort of this woman that lives in the shadows of the shadowy man. And the fact that scene at the end where she's got the gun and she's in the vault and stuff. And I know in the trailers it looks like she gets some more action to do. So yeah, I want to know what makes her tick, why she sort of stuck up with being him. I didn't get the impression that she's a weak woman at all, but why is she still sort of trodden down by the great Nick Fury? I mean, yeah, I didn't really buy that he had left her for that long. I think it just seemed like a plot convenience of the MC, yeah. like where you were gone for five years in the blip and then you disappeared. And it's like, okay, so this is just some uh, very convenient stuff. Um, but back up a bit, Tom, because you think the Marvels might be a prequel to Secret Invasion. Now, I, I always come to, well, you come to me and you have like 18 theories every week and I always find them fascinating. So I, I don't think I've heard that this is a prequel. Um, what makes you think it is? So the fact that Kobe Smulders is apparently back in the Marvels and I'm under no illusion that Maria Hill 
isn't dead and buried or that they're going to even replace with a scroll because I think if they hadn't had the scene with her mum and the funeral you could have maybe gone ahead with scroll Maria Hill and that could have worked for however many years but yeah I think the fact that she's back because originally I was like yeah Marvel's definitely a secret invasion sequel but if Kobe Smulders is back it makes me think it's a prequel plus it can timeline wise I think it just about works as well but then it kind of makes you think, well, what's the point in watching the Marvels? Not that you shouldn't watch the Marvels, but if it's a prequel to this, then what's it bringing to the table in terms of Secret Invasion? And I think, yeah, it's just a bit of a convenient, no matter where you place it, it's a convenient plot thing. And I just think the MCU now, I said this as well. So Secret Invasion starts and it says present day, but it's not. It's set in 2025, which is our future. They're just, it's a mess of plot lines. It feels a bit like The Flash when he gets that spaghetti and dumps it out and he's like, here's our timeline, go. Oh, do you know what? I was going to say something there. I've completely forgotten. I think it was about the Marvels. No, it's gone. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> in this episode, uh, we get a Black Widow connection um, because Nick Fury's wife, Priscilla, she mentions um, Dracov that she's been working on some mission against Ray Winstone's character from the Black Widow movie. We have heard some rumours that there is possibly some kind of Black Widow resurrection situation happening here. Um, I don't know whether I believe (laughs) those rumours. I feel like um, that's not true, but they have said, well, there's no superheroes in this. Natasha, not technically a superhero, so they wouldn't be cheating on their own code. We also saw extremists back from Iron Man 3. Tom, you also had another theory that you were talking to me about earlier. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Amelia Clark's character, Gaia, because she obviously seems like she might be dead here at uh, by the end of the episode. Now, she could very well have um, protected herself by putting herself in that super scroll machine and maybe given herself some of that uh, extremist stuff to, um, so that she wouldn't be shot in the street by graphic. Um, but uh, you had another thought that I found quite intriguing. Yeah, so I remember before Secret Invasion even came out, they were like, oh, she's playing Abigail Brand. She's going to lead S.W.O.R.D. She's going to be a mutant. It's a tie to X-Men. And I was like, okay, that theory stacks up. And then they reveal her as Talos's daughter, who's been in like two issues of the comics or something. And it's like, would you really waste someone like Amelia Clark? But would you really waste her on such a small character? And I think what they've done is they'll kill Gaia off and then we'll find her human form down in that bunker full of all the bodies. And it'll be Abigail Brand and she'll work with Nick Fury's wife and there'll be a whole sword thing. I think Guy is dead, but there's no way that Amelia Clark's done after three episodes, unless they've done the world's worst trailer editing to try and throw us off. She appears in so many of the scenes of the trailers, it would literally be impossible for her not to come back in some form. And I don't believe they've just resigned her to flashbacks for the rest of the season either. Didn't they make a law recently as well that they couldn't, lie in the trailers in in terms of words or plotting or are they not allowed to think it was in terms of Ana de Armas who was cut out I can't remember what movie it was but she's in the trailer and then she gets cut out and psycho Ana de Armas fans uh took whatever 
production company to to court and they won for false advertising. So I don't know that there's full laws being rewritten, but it is something to consider. Another win for the stands. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So at the end of this episode, Priscilla is called by somebody uh, working with Gravic, we assume. And it's clearly Don Cheadle's voice on the line. So Rhodey is a scroll. Any surprise from you guys on that one? I am going to have to disagree. Oh. Just with your perception of reality. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, many why, do, Alec. <laughs> many do. Why, why scroll? I mean, like, as far as we know, Nick Fury is not a scroll, and it would not be unusual for him to feel the phone call from scrolls. Uh, I don't know. A roadie scroll reveal is so obvious that I wouldn't be shocked if next week's twist is like the non-reveal that roadie is actually roadie. He's just been, as he kind of alluded to, to Fury, he's been in contact or he's known about the scroll for a long time. Maybe that extends to him being in contact with them. Maybe there's several factions within the scrolls, even before this whole graphic situation that Rhodey's been dealing with. So I'm not ready to to declare secret scroll yet. Well, but she was like, you know, I need, I want to speak to Gravik. And he was like, Well, you're talking to me. Like, yeah. so that would mean he's working with Gravik. Is that where you're going with this, Alec? I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> he just knows just you're saying, wrong. That's all he's got. I, mean, I, I just, I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I am confident that I am right. <laughs> no, I just, my, my thing is I, I need to see Rhodey change into an actual green person before I do Rhodey scroll confirmed. Like one phone call is not doing it for me. I think there's wiggle room here. Maybe Gravik is doing this on behalf of somebody else. Maybe the U.S. government's the bad guy. Maybe that's why Gravik is in within Rhodey's employee or something. Maybe he's a patsy. I don't know. There are options. Please let me have options because I've dug a real hole for myself here. <laughs> I like the idea of that Rhodey's big master plan, scroll, assuming that he's a scroll, if he's a scroll, his whole master plan is to get the Avengers to come to Earth because he was the one who's like, do you want to call in your friends? That idea that Hypothetically, wants Hulk to come into the battle and then the Skrulls can get Hulk DNA or they want to get some Thor DNA and then they can swing hammers and stuff. Whether the writers are that smart and have brought that in, I don't really know. But going back to the whole Rhodey being a Skrull thing, there was that interesting tease where Fury said, nobody calls me Nick. And if you flash back to last week when they're having the big, that amazing conversation, um, Rhodey calls him Nick. Whether, again, that's the writers being clever or whether we're just going too far into theory territory and I kind of giving them too much credit, we'll have to wait and see. But either way, a roadie scroll reveal, I'd be a bit like, meh. I said to Kirsten ages ago, I was like, I guarantee that Everett Ross will be a scroll. And then there was that reveal, which then just brings up more questions about when was he swapped, who was in Wakanda, for, um, yeah, Wakanda forever. And I don't know, they just... For me, they've not done a big scroll reveal that I care about. I don't care about Rosie and I don't care about Everett Ross. No one does, like, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> I want someone big. Like, give me the Robert Downey Jr. Like, Tony Stark was a scroll the entire time. Cool, great. That I would care about. Otherwise, it's just kind of B-tier characters that they're trying to make relevant. And it's like, who's next? Is it going to be Sharon Carter? Right. And there's the a lot of people that, calling for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The comics were so good at that, the secret invasion you know, where they 
they said that like these big people were scrolls the whole time. It didn't really have many consequences because comics, but you know, it was it was big and shocking and 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 seemed like a big deal at least. But Everett Ross not exactly floating anyone's boat at the moment. Um, Joe, do you who who would delight you to see revealed as a scroll? I don't know that there's anybody out there that I would be like. They must be a scrawl, you know, because the Secret Invasion comic book, um, you know, it, it used, like you said, it didn't really come to the uh, anywhere with this. But the idea was they were going to fix continuity for a while, you know, but uh, by revealing these guys were scrolls. And so I think there was something with Hank Pym was didn't they for a moment there be like the, the Hank Pym that slapped Janet was a scrawl. <laughs> um, and they were going to take that part out. Like there was that sort of idea, right? And it didn't end up coming to anything because they, they, like you said, because comics. And so the 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 MCU doesn't quite have that problem. I mean, there's little hiccups continuity wise, but they're re- relatively small. And the real problem the MCU has is that the actors are aging out and and don't want to do these parts anymore. So there's nothing big in that way where like I need to see them fix this problem. Maybe the Sharon Carter one, which I wasn't so bothered by her being the power broker, but I know that's a big one where people are like, that's way out of character uh, for her to make that switch. And so I could see that one fitting that. But outside of that, I don't I don't know that there's any that I'm demanding to see. I just want them to use the scrolls that they the, the characters that they have and the scroll reveals that they've done here. I want them feel like something it's it's i don't need robert downey jr to to show up and to make it exciting for me i just i need a scene that is actually as tense as they want me to believe it is you know you know it's funny with um you know um you guys talking about um no nobody calls me nick as being the tell uh, I saw on Twitter earlier somebody had put, had put piece together like all different MCU characters calling him Nick over the years <laughs> and him being absolutely okay with it and not picking up on it at all. It's the toast thing all over again. What What is the deal with the toast, Tom? Like he said that he couldn't eat triangular toast or something. Right. He cut diagonally. So that was his way of proving he wasn't a skull. A skull. A skull. And then back in Avengers Age of Ultron, he's there just eating a normal sandwich. So... <laughs> they just they can't even get it right between themselves. What hope do we have of trying to figure it out? But was that was that a toasted sandwich, Tom? Uh, good question. Yeah. I, you know, what? I've never, <laughs> I can't remember my Nick Fury toasted sandwiches, I'm afraid. This was actually going to be a quite quite a short episode compared to our normal episodes. And it looks like it's going to be because. I'm I'm honestly not sure what else we can talk about with this one. It, not really a lot happened this week. I think probably episode five is going to be where stuff really kicks off. And then we, we should have quite a decent finale. But this has been quite a slow burn. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure that there's going to be any huge reveals um, or a huge amount of tension or action next week either. If this is a prequel, what would you like to see the consequences of this plot being, Tom, for the future of the MCU? I think for me, it'd be cool to set up the whole sword thing. And yeah, like I'm going back to before, the scroll reveal things, like you had your biggest scroll reveal, the Nick Fury one was in Spider-Man. So that was an amazing reveal. And literally people are like, wow, this is amazing. This guy we've known for so long, he's a scrum. They didn't waste it because it worked really well. But then to have spun that out into a TV series, 
hasn't quite landed like it should do. And I don't think they're going to do Secret Invasion Season 2 or anything like that. If they planned it properly, they could have had it where you tease some of these big reveals and then had them. But instead, they've just sort of thrown it all into this six-hour mini-movie. And then moving forward, I'm like, where do they go from that? Is it going to lead into Captain America? That's, I think that's what they'll do. I'm putting my money on it now that at the end of the series, President Ritson will have died off in an explosion or will have been killed by the scrolls, and Harrison Ford will step up and Thunderbolt Ross will be the president of the United States. And I think that then sets the scene for Captain America, Thunderbolts, and all these sort of covert ashes of shield storylines that we still have. So there are a million scrolls on Earth, we've been told. Um, what happens to them at the end of this series? Do they Are they sticking around? How are they incorporated into the story going forth? Or are they just going to drop it and pretend it never happened in that the way that they do? I think that's the big worry. I'm kind of like, do fans care enough about what happens to them? They've not done a very good job about expanding the scrolls. Like we were saying before, you've had all these character reveals of these people you already know being scrolls, but you've not really learned much about the new scrolls. So this whole race of people that should be you should be sympathetic about, like they've had this horrible plight. We know nothing about them. And if there's a million of them out there, I think fans are going to be like, OK, if the scrolls just go back into the wild of Earth to be who they want to be. I don't think it really affects the MCU moving forward, which then kind of makes me question, why would people tune every week, tune in every week to sort of see this thing that isn't necessarily going anywhere? I think it's kind of. Whether um, Samuel Jackson returns or not, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think this has done a good job of bookending Nick Fury and giving us more about him. But other than that, the wider MCU hasn't done a lot. But then that's a big complaint. People are kind of like, these shows are so fixed with being part of the wider MCU. It's nice to have something a bit more intimate, but then it's not worked. So it's a rock and a hard place, really. And the way this was pitched was that like it was an event series, like it was it was bigger than the other ones in a way, almost like a Defenders on Netflix, although that was absolute pants as well. But like, you know, it hasn't felt eventy so far. Um, and I can I can only hope that they're leading to something um Big. I mean, you see in the trailers, there's a lot of action that we haven't seen, like helicopters exploding and, you know, those are people like fighting on the, the highway or whatever. So there, there is stuff to come. It just doesn't it just doesn't feel as momentous as perhaps we thought it was going to be, perhaps a bit more underwhelming. Lee uh, has said that the bread in Age of Ultron was not toasted, Tom. Nick Fury in his sandwiches. I stand corrected on his sandwiches. <laughs> but going back to what you're saying about event series, my worry is they're going to do a WandaVision. Like, I loved WandaVision. I thought it was incredible. But that last episode kind of threw all the action into it, and it didn't really fit with the rest of it. And my worry is that with three episodes left, you're going to get the last episode where it's all explosions and helicopters and that stuff, which kind of kitchen sinks the whole thing. And just sort of proves that you could have skipped the first five episodes and jumped to the end for whatever secret invasion inevitably sets up next. Yeah, that's my fear, too, that that's that's where the, all the super scroll stuff is going, is that we're going to get. I mean, we saw clips of Groot scrolls in the trailer, so that's we're, we're going to watch Talos and Fury fight off super scrolls for which 
just feels wrong on the level of I don't feel like the show has earned a big battle. And also from the perspective of a Fantastic Four fan, that's such (laughs) this is such a banal uh, introduction to the Super Scroll. Like uh, it's that's a that's a over the top, crazy cosmic character that you would expect from a Fantastic Four story and kind of putting him here in this in this ground or putting that setting up that character in this grounded story just seems to be pulling the rug out from under him. I, I, I think it's doing a disservice to both this show as it's been and to the character that will hopefully become more important later on. Would you like to see Super Scrolls become a, a, a thing going forward, Joe? Would you like to see some of these guys survive and become... Yeah, not on Earth, though. I would be totally happy with Super Scrolls showing up in the Marvels. You know, it, 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 that's where I'm really kind of thrown about this movie's relationship or the show's relationship to the Marvels, because the little bit that we've seen in that trailer, it's not just um, tonally that it feels different than what Secret Invasion has been. It's it's visually it's I, I cannot see Kamala Khan bouncing around in this world. Maybe it would be a much better show if she was here. Like, I, I can't see how these two things are going to line up. And that's on the one hand, OK, for um for Secret Invasion to be in a different genre than than the big movies are. But then if we're going to try to shoehorn all these things together, I just I don't know how that's going to fit. But if it's not going to fit, then how is this an event show? I mean, I, I feel like I'm back. You guys have all made good points, but I'm back to my, my my original question is, what is this show? And I don't know that they know what it is. We did so well with like WandaVision and Loki and stuff. And it's them that assumption that they're all going to be good but as we've seen yeah with falcon and the winter soldier they're not all going to be good i mean that's my personal opinion some people might love it um that should be standard tagline marvel standard they're not all going to be good (laughs) (laughs) ms marvel like divided people and i think that no matter what way you look at it now i don't think secret invasion will be remembered up there with the greats like loki and wandavision and it just hammers home the saturation thing. And it's a problem that I think if Star Wars isn't careful, it can go down the same route too. Like I think it's done really well with things like Andor and obviously Mandalorian. But then you have things like Book of Boba Fett. And I think people are going to continue asking with Marvel and Star Wars, do I need this show? Can my viewing of this franchise exist without it? And something like Secret Invasion, yeah, you don't you don't need to watch it to I doubt it's going to set up Secret Wars. So you kind of question, would I rather be doing something else with my hour or would I rather be watching this? It's also a problem with planning so far ahead. Um, When, you know, Kevin Feige is taking to Hall H or whatever and he's telling us what's going to happen in like 2068. And um, (laughs) by the time something like Secret Invasion comes along, the amount of like pressure on it to be, of substance and good and when it's almost been forgotten for what what's coming next is kind of counterintuitive in a way before when it was the movies perhaps they could have done that and they did do it successfully sort of planning the next couple ahead but like this this is uh, so many things uh now and as they're coming along the more that they're disappointing Um, or underwhelming the more it seems to sort of um, dilute the brand or whatever and dilute the excitement for whatever comes next Um, 
I, I don't know how they solve it, honestly. They have tried to push stuff back, it seems, um, and maybe dial down their plans a little bit. Um, there's obviously the Kang situation, which we don't know how that's going to turn out at the moment, but I can't see them saying anything about it until Loki season two has streamed and they haven't had to address it in any way. Um, and then they'll probably be forced to say something at some point. But yeah, it's a real, it's a real tough situation. Like I'm sure Kevin Feige is not uh, crying himself to sleep over it uh, on a big pile of money. I'm sure he's absolutely fine. Um, but it, it is it does seem like they they are unsure of how to tie all these things together. And it continues to be a bit of an issue. I'm saying that after I enjoyed this episode just fine and like had yeah. a really time <laughs> watching Nick <laughs> Talos just talking in a car for like 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, I think I think a lot of people um, aren't me and aren't just excited by uh, two old lads in a car having a chin wag, you know. <laughs> um, probably want some more explosions and some more CGI. I think that might be us done this for this episode unless you guys have any other thoughts how did you guys feel when fury called an english breakfast dog food <laughs> it did, didn't look great <laughs> it didn't look like a good one but i felt i, I felt that was fair actually alec <laughs> i think that our, our food I'll is terrible there, <laughs> <laughs> that toast was about three levels too cooked um, thank you very much, Tom, for joining us this week. It was great to finally meet you after working with you for so long. And thank you, Joe, for stopping by again. Obviously, I'll see you in a few hours, you know. We'll, we'll get back together in a few. Um, Alec, have a good evening. Um, <laughs> that's, that's it for this week's Marvel Standom. Thank you all for watching and putting up with me while Mike's away. He will probably be back next week. Um, probably. Um, make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home of denofgeek.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage. Drop us a line and let us know your burning questions and what you would like us to cover in upcoming episodes. We're Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. If you came in late, you'll be able to watch this entire episode on denofgeek.com or our, our YouTube home, Den of Geek US. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our special guests, Joe George and Tom Chapman. Thank you to Andrew Halley, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. Thanks to Den of Geek social media coordinator, Lee Parham, for keeping everyone in line in the comments, although you're fairly quiet tonight. Go follow our TikTok, Den of Geek TV, where Lee is doing incredible work. A special shout out to Michael R for making the podcast version of this show all it can be. And most of all, thank you for watching, listening, following and subscribing. Until next time, take care of each other and stay safe.